Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Thanks, yeah, and, th- and well done, you guys. That's just such a great introduction. It's really, really cool for me to come up and after an introduction like that. Wow, this is going to be a good evening. So, um, my topic for tonight is I'm going to talk about honoring the extravagant God and worship, as Graham said this morning. Who was here this morning? Who who was here and heard Graham's awesome word this morning? He he was talking about worship is not always singing, um, but worship is actually what we're born for. It's what we're created to do. So, in a way, to not worship is the choice that we make, not not to because because the the worship is the default mode. So I'm going to do a little Bible study tonight, if that's okay. Was that cool with you guys? And it's really an example of an incredible, it's probably one one of the most amazing acts of worship in the New Testament. Um, And we're going to go through the story and we're going to see what we can pull out of it. So if you would like to turn to John's Gospel and chapter 12, I'm going to read from the first verse. So, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So this is one of the very, very few occasions in Scripture. We don't see many, many stories like this in Scripture where Jesus is actually given honor. And it takes place in a very tumultuous time in the gospel. It's just six days before the Passover where Jesus is about to be betrayed. Um, And there's a version of this story in each of the gospels. You know, there's like with the four different gospels, but each of the the gospels has has a version of this story. But it seems like Jesus was anointed by a woman on at least two different occasions. And that's kind of important. I want to point that out because there are three stories that refer to what happens here just before the the end of Jesus' life. And there's an earlier story that happens in Luke where it seems that a sinful woman, probably a prostitute or something, came in and snuck into this dinner where Jesus was being hosted by one of the Pharisees. And you'll probably remember in that story, there was this conversation about how could he let this evil woman touch touch him. And, and Jesus has this conversation. And we know that these are two different stories by the fact that there are two completely different conversations. And it takes place in a different place. So I'm just pointing that right at the beginning for you, because I want you to understand that the the Mary in this story is not the prostitute Mary. Okay, she's not a dubious suspect woman. She's actually a very respectable woman. We know who she is and, and where she comes from. Um, and 
we also know that this was a very different kind of an occasion because certainly it started out on this occasion. It says that the dinner was in Jesus' honor. This was an amazing occasion they, and it takes place pretty soon after Lazarus was raised from the dead. So and that seems to be kind of a bit of the theme of the evening because um, John is very careful to point out that Lazarus is one of the guests at the table. Martha, you remember Martha, hospitality queen, she cooks up a storm for them and they have this really wonderful dinner and the whole point of this dinner is to celebrate Jesus and to honor him. But what we discover in this story is that of all the things that happened that evening, Mary's gift, Mary's offering, Mary's contribution to the evening is the one that really, really blesses Jesus. Um, the guys are not so impressed about it, but, um, well, certainly some of the guys, and particularly Judas, but in some of the other Gospels, it, it kind of it wasn't just Judas. I mean, everybody's like muttering a bit and saying, Who this, what does this woman think she's doing? But Jesus, and this is from Mark, um, Matthew's version of the story, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. In Mark's version, it says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. When you love your name to go down in history as the one who really, really blessed Jesus, who really gave him this incredible gift, the best gift he was ever given. Now, Matthew and Mark don't name the woman in the, their version of the story, but John is quite clear that this, the lady who does this is Mary of Bethany, and she's the younger sister of Martha and Lazarus. And I think there's something so significant in this story that we really need to take note of it, um, because this is not the first time in Scripture that Mary has been mentioned. So do you remember the other story where Mary appears? And that's in, it's after the story. This is why we know it can't be the, the prostitute woman, because that happens in Luke 7. And Jesus only meets Mary of Bethany in Luke 10. And we hear this story, and that's the whole story of Mary. It's the Mary and the Martha, and Martha's cooking and complaining. And we find in that story, we, we say it, it, Jesus says that, that Mary has chosen the better option. What was, the, what was the better option that Mary chose? Well, I always used to think that it was kind of like sitting and listening rather than cooking. <laughs> And, and I had this, I had this foolish idea that maybe it was a little bit like, you know, you know, you've probably all heard that the interpretation of this story, where it goes, it goes basically, don't be a Martha rushing around working, be a Mary. In other words, when you get up in the morning, have a good quiet time and a devotion before you get stuck into your work. Don't get too worried with the housework. Don't be too fussed about all the practical things in life. Just rather sit and spend time with Jesus. So anyone heard it interpreted that way? I think, I think that's a very limited interpretation of this story because I think what she did in this story was something so much more significant than that. I think she chose to position herself in such a way that her identity was defined first and foremost as a child of God before she did anything else. So she chose to put herself in the front row of what God was doing. Now, who's ever been to live theater? Theater. Have you been to a live live theatre show? What happens when you sit in the front row in a live in a live performance? 
usually something quite embarrassing, hey? They can, you know, it's that sort of scenario where you're likely to get dragged onto the stage and become part of the act. Um, if you've ever been to... Um, Ushaka to the dolphin show. The front row is the place where you get wet. You know, all those kids who desperately want to come down and stroke the the dolphin. And it just means that you are going to get seriously wet. So I think too many of us, I I think Mary is this incredible example because many of us are quite satisfied with back row Christianity. No insult to the people who are sitting on the back row at the moment. You'll all be sitting in the front row next week. But, But, you know, to sit in the front row... It's kind of, is, is sometimes a, a scarier thing. So, you know, we come to church or to home group and sometimes it's, it's kind of hard to take a risk. It's hard to step out, to speak out, um, to push ourselves forward because, not, not just because it's a scary thing to do and it's difficult to do, but it's also because people are going to look at us funny. Thing of thing, who, who do they think they are on the front row? You know, who's aspiring? Who are the new people aspiring to eldership or aspiring to look important or be significant? They're all sort of, you know, we kind of get this kind of crazy sort of thing where it's, it seems a little bit presumptuous to sit on the front row and to be there in the action. But, um, but Mary in Luke 10, she's just this amazing person because she just breaks every cultural stereotype. She just sits right down there with the guys, with the disciples. And in those days, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was actually pretty well tantamount to saying, sticking your hand up and saying, I want to be a rabbi too. So in, a, in, a, in an era where women were not even educated, she is presumptuous enough to sit down and look like she wants to learn to be a Bible teacher. So so she really, um, she, she really sort of stuck her... Stepped into a, a space that was not a comfortable space, and was not a socially approved space at all. In fact, you can even and what's funny is that she gets the worst criticism from her sister. <laughs> That's like really rough, isn't it? You know, the men were not impressed with her, but the kind of big sisters, ah, tell my little sister, kind of, you know, she's never going to get a husband this way. <laughs> this sort of behaviour is just really not going to be to her advantage. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't rebuke her. In fact. Just like he, he never actually rebuked the disciples for having too much faith. Do you, have you noticed that? Jesus never rebukes people for presuming to want more of God or presuming to, to be in that space to receive something or to want to do something or wanting to be part. I mean, like he never, I mean, when Peter steps out of the boat, he only rebukes him for sort of like panicking halfway. He's like, no, Peter, you could do it. So, so Jesus didn't rebuke her. And here in John chapter 12, you say, well, here she is again, little Mary, sticking out like a sore thumb, receiving the criticism for being ridiculous and extravagant and wasteful. But from Jesus, she's just receiving the ultimate affirmation, the ultimate stamp of approval, um, just saying, this woman has blessed me. She has blessed me so incredibly much. Um, And I was thinking, and and maybe you can think about this, you can go away and think about this, but I was thinking about all the stories of Jesus in the gospel, and I couldn't think of another example where someone did something purely for Jesus. I mean, yeah, I can think, maybe, 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 I mean, there must be, there must be at least one other story somewhere where somebody did something for Jesus, but I, I really couldn't think of that. There were lots of people who came to get something from Jesus, you know, lots of people getting healing, getting encouragement, getting all sorts of things. 
There were even some people who got what they wanted and stopped and went and said thank you afterwards. So I suppose that's an improvement, isn't it? Not <laughs> just the ones who came to get something, the ones who actually remembered to say thank you. But I couldn't think of another single person who thought about how Jesus might be feeling and thought about what Jesus might need. Um, I mean, the disciples were pretty useless on the whole. I mean, they, they fell asleep. I mean, even when Jesus is asleep in the boat from total exhaustion. And what do the disciples do? Wake up, Jesus! We're about to die! Don't you care that we're about to die? Please, please help us. Jesus, we need you. Help. So, you know, so much you see that in the, in the Gospels, just the sense of um, everybody wants to get something from Jesus, but very few people want to give something. I think maybe the other woman, um, yeah, there, there are a few examples, but really it's very thin. And, you know, people often think of, talk about having a Christ-centered lifestyle. I'm sure you've heard people preach about that or a Christ-centered church or a ministry. But what they often mean is that we perceive ourselves to be doing things for Jesus and very often so we can get something in return. Um, so he can be on our side or get what we want. And that's actually not worship as Graham. So if you didn't hear Graham's message from this morning, it was a really superb message that that is not what worship is, like doing it because of what we can get out of it. Um, we don't come to worship God to get the breakthrough, to change our circumstances, although very often that is what that is what happens. I mean, we, we often do get those things, but that's not the motive. That's not why we come to worship. Um, often, you know, we, we do get the breakthrough. Um, Graham told the story of Paul in prison in Philippi and how, you know, the, the earthquake and he got set free. But And I think, I think Chanel also mentioned that story the week before. But I think God is looking for something much more relational from us. I think, I think he... He, he loves it when we honor him. He, he loves it when we serve him. But I think he's also after love and affection and desire, desire to be with him, desire to be light with him, desire to receive him, from him, desire to bless him. So there's a kind of big question, like, how do you bless God? <laughs> like, really? Seriously, how, do, I mean, how does little me get to, you know, it's kind of like, how do you, what's the gift you give to someone who's got everything? <laughs> like, God's got pretty well everything. Um, so I think we can learn something. I think this story of Mary tells us really clearly just a, a ways in which we can bless God. And I think because, because Mary's worship and the way that Jesus responded to it shows that Mary really got Jesus. Yeah, I, I think this was the thing that she understood something of his nature and his character. And she had a revelation of who he really is. So, so out of that space, I, mean, I, I really do think God loves it when we get him. I think he loves it. And, and I think that's actually what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. It means to worship God as he is, understanding who he is, understanding who we are. Because, um, and, and when we do that, when we worship in that kind of way, when we worship because we get God and we want to give something to him, it's like we become like him as we do that. Because we, we're actually stepping into his nature. We're stepping into who he is. So... Here are four points just from the story of Mary that I think of what this worship looks like. And, and the first point is that it was a wholehearted commitment. There is nothing half-hearted about Mary's offering. She broke the jar, Mark, Mark's version tells us. She actually broke the soap. So in those days, the perfume, it was actually in a sealed, it was sealed in a like a glass vial and she had to break it to get the perfume out. It, um, 
there was no going back. You know, like once you've broken the jar, once you've broken the top of, there's no going back. There's no bailing out halfway. There's no saving something for a rainy day. And I think for me, that reflects something of God's wholehearted commitment to us. You know, there's no second plan if the cross is too hard. You know, Jesus didn't have the option of backing out and doing something different. Um, and he also said that in, in, in one of the, I think it's in Luke's Gospel 9, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because it's a sense of like, it's, it's like an all-in commitment. That, that is what, that is what she, she did. She, she, just, she just went for it. Secondly, I think it was an example of incredibly extravagant giving. It was worth a year's wages, um, all of it, poured out, one shot. She gave away a literal fortune. Um, it was her dowry, possibly, or her retirement policy. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, I, th- I think it was sitting there for a re- I, I don't think some, you know, this kind of a person would have had something that valuable unless it was kind of saved for a very special purpose. And again... This is also something that shows that she understood who God is. Because God gave his only son, you know, not his spare son, not the one he didn't need too much right now. He gave his one and only son. <laughs> so, so God... So God, I, th- I think God really, I think Jesus loved her thing because it was almost like all the men were saying, no, no, Mary, you can't do this. It's too much. Why is it? It's not too much. It's not too much because she understood who Jesus is and what he was worth and where he was going and what was about to happen. So it's not, it's not, I, I think that's why Jesus was so astounded in, in the gift that she gave him. Because you see, she, Jesus didn't have a problem receiving it. He didn't think it was over the top. He just said like, wow, that's beautiful. You're thinking, oh my word, somebody who gets me, somebody has seen who I really am, which, which is absolutely amazing. Somebody understood his worth. Um, I think God is incredibly blessed when we give cheerfully and extravagantly. But, you know, we can't, we can, you, you know that we can never outgive God. Um, and it's not always a question of how much we have or how much we give, but I think a question of obedience and relationship. So what did God ask you to give? Um, I think it's important to say that, especially to a room full of like a whole bunch of young adults. Um, some, sometimes youthful zeal can want to give away stuff just to be impressive, you know, just to kind of make a big gesture. So I am going to give away my car and I'm going to bum lifts off everybody else for the rest of the, rest of the year because I don't have a car now. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's not what, talk, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having a relationship of knowing God. Like getting to know God and then when he asks you to, to give what he asks you to give, um, responding to that, giving what, what he is asking of you. One time we gave away a house and I'm not telling you that to make us sound like we were like in this incredibly rich or noble people, but it was kind of like because God told us to. Um, and... It wasn't. It wasn't the one we were living in at the time. <laughs> we weren't homeless, but 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 it was something that was was we had as an investment, and God said, "No, do this with it." And and God has returned that investment so many times over. It's like amazing. So ordinary people can make extraordinary contributions. They, you know, even ordinary people can give really incredible 
generous, awesome gifts to God. But as I say, it's not the matter of the amount, but it's actually the matter of the relationship and the response to God when God says, you know, actually, that'd, that'd be really cool. <laughs> kind of that would bless me. So, so it's, really, it's really generosity, but generosity in a relationship with God. So the third thing that this, this gift that Mary gave to, to Jesus was that it was actually a public act of extravagant worship. Now, we often talk about how important it is that your public life is an overflow of your private life. Who said that sermon? This is, this is important, and, and, and I'm not negating that. It is really, really important that we spend time with God alone, that we worship him in our own homes. But how about this? God also wants to be acknowledged publicly. You know, he, he kind of like appreciates it he, if, we are worship, if, if we worship him extravagantly in front of other people. I, I, think, I think Kayla said something like this, this last, last week. You know, he doesn't want us to be ashamed or embarrassed about the way we worship him publicly. I kind of think that God feels maybe that he deserves like at least as much passion as we give our local sports team or our, you know, favorite pop star or something. So I think, so I think the public act of worship does have immense value to God because it's actually, it's important. He, we, we are saying publicly that, that we love him and we're giving him that space. And I think the, the, the fourth point and probably the most important and the most mind-blowing one is that God actually wants to be loved by us. Um, which is why I started out with the story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. So Mary putting herself in the front row of God's purposes, it's not pride or arrogance to position yourself that way. Because it's actually false humility to imagine that if, you, if you're not there, that God is not going to notice. You know, oh, well, you know, if my life is too messed up or I'm too messed up or I'm too stressed or I don't got the time or I can't make the thing, well, actually God won't notice. Actually, he does. That's the crazy, crazy thing is he notices if I'm not there. And and this blows my mind that he yearns for me. He actually notices if I'm not, if I don't, if I don't show up, if my face, if he doesn't see my face. It's like kind of, you know, like Adam and the God, like, where are you? God notices. He loves us so much. He so wants to connect with us that he really wants, wants to us to be with him. And, and our love is incredibly precious to him. So I started out at the beginning here saying that this is about honoring an extravagant God. God wants us to honor him and worship him in ways that really reflect his heart and his character. And that does go against the grain of our personalities and our cultures sometimes. Now, some of you... I think especially young used guys over here probably look at me and think, well, it's all very well for you to dance about extravagantly and get up on the microphone and pray or read some poetry or something because you're that kind of person. Also, you're at the age where you don't mind not looking cool anymore. <laughs> Which may be true. <laughs> that may be true. But, 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 you know, maybe my personality is a little louder than some people's here. But I actually don't come from a culture of extravagance. I really don't. I was born and raised in the UK in like a post-Second World War generation. And when I was a child, one of my mother's favorite sayings was, waste not, want not. 
So even as an adult, I find it extremely difficult to leave food on my plate in a restaurant or at someone's house because it's kind of like... You don't waste food. That is that is the wickedest thing on the planet is to waste food because you have to think about all the starving children in Africa. Although I never quite figured out how my getting eating that extra potato and sticking it on my hips hips actually helped the starving children of Africa. <laughs> there was a certain logic missing in it. But 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 it was but it was that was the kind of mentality. It was like, yeah, you don't waste you don't waste things. And and as a child I very rarely got any clothes or shoes that fit properly because you always bought things to grow into, you know. Do any does any did any of you guys have that? Did your parents make you do that? Buy buy an extra size larger so it'll last longer. Um and, and you put things aside for a rainy day. But but as I have grown up and grown in God, I have become really convinced of this, that my Heavenly Father wants me to live in the now moment of his presence and his purposes. Um, he doesn't, um, he kind of, he, he actually approves of us being wasteful and extravagant with our love and our passion and our worship and our giving. Um, just like he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So he kind of wants us to be like him, to love the unlovely and the ungrateful and, and kind of just, just the way that he does that. So, so this is what we're going to do, and, and I'm going to be finished in, in a few moments. But So in a moment, we are going to worship. That's what we're going to do. And for a very short time, we are going to really focus on what God wants from us tonight. That's what we want to do. So, so here are some things I think God wants, um, and maybe this will not be everything that you personally want to give to him tonight, but just think about some of these things. So I do think God wants us to set everything aside and just be with him in the here and now for a, for a short time. Just be with him. I think God does want us to go big in worship sometimes because he is not honored by smallness, meanness, or unbelief because he, he's not small or mean or lacking in power or provision. So why should we be? You know, he, he is worth it. You know, God has no self-esteem problem. He really believes that he is worth the, the worship that we, that we bring to him. And he loves it when we celebrate his goodness. He loves it when we declare how wonderful he is. Because he's actually not a hard taskmaster. He is good. He is utterly good. He has all our best interests in mind all the time. And... I think he's pretty delighted when we set aside all our anxieties about material provision and all the stress and worry. Because it, because when we do that, it demonstrates that we know him. We know who he is. So, so when we manage to do that and put all that stuff aside, he, it shows that we know him. And I think it loves... I think he also loves it when we remind him about his promises because it shows that we know who we are too. You know, I know that I'm a child and I know what, what God has for me and I know my inheritance. I know everything that he has, he has made provision for me. And I think as well, God um, is honored when we discern his bigger plans and purposes. Because, you see, Mary somehow saw the bigger picture in all the kind of the celebration. Woohoo, you know, here's Lazarus and it's all awesome and wonderful. Somehow in the middle of all that, she saw something bigger. She saw the cross was coming. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said that the perfume was for his burial. Um, Nard, by the way, is incredibly expensive perfume. I looked it up. It seems to come from the Himalayas. 
So if you think how much it cost, and, and, and the, all the Gospels emphasize that it was real nard, it was pure nard, it wasn't a cheap imitation perfume, it was both a perfume and a medicine and a sedative. So I uh, said, so like, you imagine like a perfume that comes from an oil that comes from a plant that grows in the Himalayas. I mean, how much does that cost in first century Palestine in, in the days of, you know, the spice trade and, and camels and stuff like that? I mean, that was like incredibly, incredibly important. But, but the thing is, it was also symbolic. She saw the cross was coming. She poured out the love and honor that he most needed in, in his greatest moment of need because he was, he was facing this thing. And she understood. She understood what it was all about. She, she didn't she only like Peter, let's cut off the slave's ear or no, heaven forbid, you will never do this. You won't have to go there. She, she got it. She understood. Um, and I think Jesus is so happy when we see the bigger picture. That, that was something that Graham mentioned this morning about um, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, that they, they could have run away, um, but they didn't. They saw the bigger picture. So God delivered them, but they shouted to the jailer, no, don't worry, don't kill yourself, we're still here, because they saw the bigger picture. And I think Jesus loves that too, when we see the big picture of who he is and what he's doing, and we don't get too fretted about all the kind of little details and how well or how badly it's going down here at the moment. Okay, so so let's honor God tonight with our love and our trust and our extravagance and our heedless commitment to his purposes and ridiculous faith because he faith because he's he is a great and awesome God. And what is more astounding is that we weak and kind of feeble as we are have the power to bless him. Isn't that like isn't that like incredible that we have the power to bless and honor this unbelievably awesome, infinite, eternal, amazing God. So we're going to do that. So I'm going to invite, um, where's he gone, the, the band, the guys. Please come join us up here. And yeah, just really yeah, make, make a choice. Make a choice to stick everything else aside and, and, and just engage relationally with God tonight and say, okay, God, what can, I, what can I give to you? What I can give to you? What are you looking for from me tonight? And, and just be prepared to just give, give perhaps a little bit more crazily than you normally would because I think, I think the joy of realizing, I think the joy when we feel like the fact that we have blessed him there's nothing more wonderful to know that we have given to him something that has blessed his heart. That's really awesome. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.